Hi everyone, my name is Alex. I'm telecommunication engineer and software IT expert. I wish you Happy New Year and welcome to our first episode for 2021. Today, we will meet you with Clelia. She's a life science enthusiast. Despite not working as an engineer, she stayed in the industry to work towards what she finds meaningful and cultivate her passion for the healthcare sector. After her best year, she moved abroad, experienced remote work for a few years and joined Best Alumni Network as soon as it was born to let some external and internal projects thrive. In today's episode, we'll talk about Brexit, vaccines, student funny stories and much more. And now sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Tell us about yourself, where are you from and what did you study and what do you do currently? I am originally from Italy. I joined the LBG Milan because I was studying there in Milan at the Polytechnical University. I was studying biomedical engineering. Uh, so I was in best between 2011 and 2012. So a short life in best. And uh, then I moved to France to work for a while and study a bit. And finally, I moved to the UK where I currently live in London. You mentioned before that you joined BASE in 2011. You become alumni in 2012, right? Uh, I don't remember if it was 12 or 13, because I, I was <laughs> I was a bit, ta- a bit active in 12, uh, 2013, but yeah, not, not much. So yeah, let's say 2012. And I just wonder for such a, what you mentioned, such short time in BEST, do you have some uh, adventure stories, some, one of them that you can share with us? Oh, actually, the Epical one was my first event. I was not even a baby member of the LBG, but just just an observer member. And uh, they had already invited me just a few days. I I, I joined the LBGs a few days earlier and they told me, oh, we have we are hosting a regional meeting. This is not something that happens often, blah, blah, blah. So you should definitely join. And I said, "Okay, why not? I'm free this weekend. Let's go. so yeah, that that was that was the craziest adventure. Basically, yeah, let's go. Let's spend this weekend randomly, like nothing organized, with a bunch of people I don't know. And yeah, needless to say, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> I thought they were yeah, big, big crazy bunch of people, but yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's fine anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on, a regional meeting. What what can just a regional meeting? Nothing special. <laughs> No, but it was cool. There were so many people from everywhere. There seems to be some crazy memories there. No? Actually, actually, it was the Halloween weekend. So, oh. yeah, it was. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a big party. You mentioned that you were not even a member. What was the thing that they attract to you? What was the, the, the selling point? So, yeah, that's a good question. Point is, they, um, I went to an internal LBG meeting first and I chatted with them a bit and they seem not as crazy as they turn out to be. So <laughs> that's what convinced me. And uh, they were all super cool. They could, they were all super fluent in English. And I was like, oh, this is really cool international organization. Let's go and check what they do. Um, so yeah, it was really intriguing. Uh, you know how events are anyway. It's uh, yeah, a bunch of crazy moments, but also really nice people, really good 
training and knowledge transfer. Yeah, I was really impressed. And I said, oh, that's a shame I didn't join earlier. Which year in, the, in your university you were at that time? So I, I graduated in 2012. So there was no way for me to, to go ahead. And what, what did you study in university? Biomedical engineering. What makes you choose biomedical engineering and do you see it as useful in your current life? So, uh, yeah, there are two separate, separate questions. So I, I chose biomedical engineering because I was really fascinated about the human body. Uh, so I knew I would choose either biotechnology, biomedical engineering, medicine, you know, something in the field. Because, you know, usually people look at space and the planets you know, the big things and they think, oh, this is amazing. It's so big, so far from us, but so, you know, it's like a miracle, something almost untouchable, you know, very far from us. But actually inside us, that's something that that is equally far from us because it's basically invisible at the micro or nano scale. And uh, that is what fascinates me because it's equally untouchable and invisible, like space and the planets and so on, because it's very far from us, but it's inside us. So really close and really far at the same time. And uh, yeah, that's that what really fascinated me as I was a child. And, and I decided that I would, I would start, study something in that field sooner or later. And then, yeah, I, I happened to be very good in math, which I was not during university, but I was very good in math. So uh, I said, okay, let's try enge with engineering anyway, because, uh, yeah, it's also a pretty useful degree. That's what they say. So let's go and try with that. Yeah, it was not a really, you know, um, it was not a decision based on the market. It was more for, you know, passion and based on what I liked because I thought, you know, maybe if I choose some to study something that I like, it's more likely that I actually graduate, right? And, and speaking about things that you like and you maybe a little bit shifting again to the to the best questions for the best organization, did this one year in best, is it something that changed your life in terms of opportunities? Well, uh, in terms of opportunities, you mean professional opportunities? It could be professional, it could be personal or both. What comes to your mind at the moment? It was interesting because it was my first, you know, it was the first time I joined an international organization. I had been abroad before, but I didn't have any, you know, I wasn't really close to have any friends abroad. So that was, you know, like, widening my perspective uh because and of course yeah improve me improvement of english <laughs> and uh, uh and yeah having connections for sure that is that is one point and also for the first time i saw that that could be something fun in the student's life because <laughs> yeah while studying engineering it was not really i don't know i didn't have really a lot of fun as a student <laughs> When you say English practice, do you think that this um, experience being in such international organization really helped you to to master the English language? No, that was not enough. I mean, uh, now I live in the UK and I can tell you that there is no British who would 
consider any bestie as fluent in English, I'm afraid. But it's a really, really good start. Oh, apart from, uh, I sorry, I'm talking about, because I'm Italian, I'm talking about at least Spanish, Italians, French, you know, us. It's usually a bit harder for us to get a proper, you know, knowledge and, uh, um, you know, master the grammar and uh, the um, and the pronunciation, needless to say. Uh, so, so yeah, of course, it's not the same for everyone. Uh, it's not every student is at the same level, of course. And now in 2020, you know, the, the situation is a lot different. Like everyone has access to more online uh, materials that is in, yeah, mainly in English, basically. Um, so, yeah, it's, the situation is a bit different now. Uh, but, yeah, but it was, it, it's anyway a good starting point when, you, you know, it's, a, it's really a higher motivation if you, have, if you have someone you care about that you need to communicate with rather than just study a language just because you have to, because you know it would be useful for your professional career. It's just not the same. Were you part of some uh, conference or some course as a co-organizer for this one year? Actually, yes. I... Yeah, actually, yes. I organized. I was a, a organizer, co-organizer, and main organizer of some some events, some local uh, external courses, um, and also I was a participant in another course in Poland. That was really fun. Um, then what else? Uh, I had the regional meeting I mentioned before. I co-organized a EEC summer meeting. Then I joined another uh, regional meeting somewhere else, I think in Belgium. And yeah, and a lot of motivational weekends in Italy. Talking about experience and... Ah, sorry, just, just, just to add one, one thing. Actually, one participant uh, fell asleep on a bus that was I don't know how to say circular so like a cycle like a loop so yeah it, that was very lucky because at any point you would be like oh no I'm at, at the opposite side of the city okay I can fall asleep again and wake up maybe in half an hour but then he would eventually wake up in an hour and find himself in the same place in the same place so it took a while a few hours to get back to the hotel but eventually it was you know it was a lucky thing to be in a sort of loop and in the end yeah he got to to the to the point so <laughs> better than going you know uh, getting on a bus that is maybe between two cities you end up in another city and you don't know what to do next uh, but yeah this one was never ending bus uh, night bus so that was good <laughs> <laughs> he was quite lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could be worse. I mean, I know some stories about in Belgium when we were and uh, um, some people went to the wrong uh, train station, which is basically a, a wrong city. So we had oh, to get no. in the car. Yeah, it, it was during midnight, so it was not... Um, but anyway, I was thinking this is another way, an alternative way to manage your participants as well. If you don't, if you can't find a, a hostel, you just put all of your participants in in such a bus, circular bus, like never ending. <laughs> so they all stay in the same place for the whole night, and uh, they always move, but they never move because they eventually get to the starting point every you mm. know sixty minutes. So it's good. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> and you pay only one ticket, right? So only one ticket, of course. 
Yeah, I think we should put this one in the show notes. I mean, uh, advice for future besties. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's crisis, so use one bus. Don't need to wear a mask because everybody's going to be uh, in quarantine, you know, like in the same bubble. Bus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 14 days bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be cool. Interesting. Hmm. And just to move it a little bit for, from to link the best with your current uh, life and career. Um, we talked about before about experiences and, and I just wonder uh, one of those experiences that you share um, do you use it now in your current life and current career something that you leverage okay but like I said it's more about you know uh, it, it, it's exactly in best where I started to try to manage any unpredictable thing that happens unexpectedly, you know, even during an internal event where you're not responsible for any participant anyway, you are responsible of something, even just yourself, and, you know, something random happens. I remember during an internal event, no, actually it was an external event, so we had external participants, and we had an earthquake during our event. I know, yeah, right? But everyone was drunk, so nobody realized it. But the next day, everyone was, like, checking their phones, and we had so many missed calls from our parents. And, uh, yeah, so so that was another, you know, there are so many things that happen, and you don't know exactly what to do. And uh, and then you're like, okay, yeah, everyone stay calm. Nothing happened. It's all fine. (laughs) Everything is under control. Um, But, yeah, no, it's fun. And that, that is when, exactly when, yeah, you start wondering uh, what should I do when these kind of situations happen again? What, how should I, you, you know, should I prepare kind of a priority list? You know what I mean? You should, should I, I don't know, put myself in a mental state that will not make me panic? Um, so, yeah, I guess that's the answer. And it, it's also a funny anecdote. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that that's great because like the the mindset, what you mentioned, the experience, you already went through some bad things and they turned out well. So this yeah. is something that you can actually take to your current professional life, and if something uh, goes bad, then you can just find the priorities and not freak out. Yeah. Anyway, at the end of the day, it's not. I mean, life goes on, so it's. Uh... Uh, it's fine. There's no need to worry too much about pretty much anything, uh, except for, yeah, it's normal that you feel the adrenaline straight away. But uh, in the end, yeah, you learn that you are able to manage whatever you want to manage. So so that is good. And actually, mm, we have this information before that uh, what you mentioned, you're Italian, but you don't live in Italy anymore, right? And can you share with our audience where do you live at the moment? So first I moved to France and then the UK. So that is where I live now. And what is the reason that you moved to to UK? Actually, I wanted to stay in France, you know. I, I was really <laughs> happy over there. I didn't want to move to the UK, but uh, they didn't offer me a proper contract. And I was really looking for a job uh, rather than keeping studying again for another year. And uh, so I went to an international job fair. And uh, yeah, the first company that offered me something that looked like a decent contract, I, I would just accept it. And that happened to be in London. So that's uh, why I moved 
but yeah initially it was not really my first choice <laughs> like if you if you say if you don't feel comfortable with london anymore are, are you today is this something that you that you that is like a project of yours to move back to a smaller city or no for, for now for my personal career it's just more convenient for me to stay here maybe another couple of years i don't know maybe more uh you never know at this point you you we have learned uh how life can be unpredictable sometimes uh so i'm really careful when i have to make some long-term plans but uh, could be here in the UK, could be in Spain, that's also an eligible country, that's really interesting. Could be France again. I think these three are the most interesting for me at the moment. We'll see. We'll see soon. What about Italy? Not Italy, no. In Italy, maybe for retirement, yes. <laughs> it's a good weather in Italy. <laughs> I know, but in France and Spain as well. It just it just depends which city you pick. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, the, what, what what I mean, as an Italian, why 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 not Italy? Like, is it is it the country that you are afraid of economically or? I don't know. I do. I think. Uh, well, I yeah. Uh, Edu, maybe uh, probably you you can understand Alex. I don't I don't know if you uh, grew up and studied and uh, uh, are currently staying in in the same city. Uh, I, I I grew up in different country and I, I uh, yeah. now now I'm in Prague, Czech Republic. So it's a different exactly. country. So, so, different so you so you will understand what I mean as well. That I don't know. After a few years, you go back to your let's say country of origin. And you're like, I don't know, sometimes you get kind of disappointed. You don't see the things as you would expect. Of course, things have changed, right? That is normal. Everything needs to progress. But maybe you would expect you would progress a bit faster, maybe a bit better. Maybe, I don't know. It's like, mm, it's love and hate with my hometown as well, not just with London. So I reached that point where, you know, you're like, you don't, you are not so sure where you belong. Your identity is not really defined by the country that is your country of origin. It's not defined by the country where you live. It's defined by a number of things that it's a bit difficult to list at some point. Um, so yeah, I don't know. You you go there. I happen to go there to my home country, and I wonder, do I really belong here? I'm not sure. I'm not so sure anymore. I'm not so sure how long I could live with these people that are theoretically the same as me, Italians like me. But from a practical practical point of view, I don't know if we could live together for more than a month. I don't know. To make it easy for you, I know that some people who move to a different country, they feel more welcomed because they don't deal with politics. And this is something when you're in your own country, you basically Maybe. observe yeah. and view all the time and you talk about it. And at some point, people become very tired of politics. Do you follow the Italian politics when you're in, uh, in the UK? Or do you follow more the UK politics now with, uh, with the Brexit? So I follow both. <laughs> I follow both and uh, they are both very disappointing. <laughs> yeah, so I just follow whatever um, to to some level that is needed to, you know, to be able to vote for 
the, let's say, right thing or whatever you feel is closer to your opinion. But that's it. For yourself, how do you see Brexit affecting your personal life or your professional life? Oh, I am British, actually. <laughs> so oh, it doesn't affect me. <laughs> I, I, I... Yeah, yeah, huh? I'm naturalized. When did, when did that happen? Yeah, so it, but it doesn't affect how, me when? really. Yeah. What? <laughs> Can you tell us more? No, actually, uh, within within the EU, it's not so hard for. I mean, if you are an EU national, to get a citizen uh, citizenship for another EU country is not too hard. You only need uh, six years, five or six years, sometimes maybe seven. Let's say around six years. Um, and I've been here for seven years. However, uh, now the UK is no longer EU, so I got it just in time, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So so the question, that that's very lucky. So the question, does Brexit affect you? It's obviously negative. You already have the British passport. Nice. Um you said you basically got there because you, because of your passion of let's say the human body and uh, the complexity of the human um, you know system. Um, so are you still so are you still passionate for this and what are you looking forward uh, in your career? So do you have a do you have an overarching goal? Uh, or an overarching target that you're looking for that you want to achieve in your career or that you're striving towards these days? So uh, I am still passionate about it. And in fact, I managed to, although I never became a biomedical engineer because an engineer is supposed to design uh, devices, right? I'm not designing devices. I've never done it even as a student. I've always managed to work in the healthcare biotech medtech industry. So I was always uh, dealing with, in my career, dealing with the, the things that I like. Uh, so about healthcare and the human body and the improvement, you know, research about something that can make our life better. Um, so, yeah, my career goal is to yeah, stay in this industry, first of all, because I really need I mean, it doesn't matter so much what I do if I work in a commercial role as I did in an operational role, in an engineering role, as long as I work for something that's really meaningful to me. And what is really meaningful to me is, again, the biomedical world, whatever amazing happens inside us. That's that's what I'm passionate about. Do you have something in the field that is uh, particularly interesting for you? I mean, I know that these days, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess these days you're working in clinical trials. Yes. Uh, do you do you do do you find this this particularly interesting because of the complexity plus the regulations or like the intersection between let's say corp like corporate versus research or? No, I, I find it interesting because it's it is pure research. So the goal is to make whatever devices and medicines that we have now better. So to make everything that we have progress, let it progress, and uh, for the sake of health. And uh, yeah, and, and that is what what I like. Although I'm not doing research, I'm doing something that 
is really necessary for research to progress. So I do my part for a you know a bigger uh, a bigger goal, uh, living happier for longer. <laughs> but uh, I mean, what specific are you doing these days? Actually, it's on the clinical trials. Uh, could you could you tell us more? You might have followed. Uh, my webinar about yeah the clinical trials right and there I said that there are some companies they do research about a medicine or a device and they need to outsource some of their work so what I do is that I do some of that work for them that's closer to operations and project management let's say some an intersection between these two Operations and project management regarding the uh, clinical trials, you mean? Yeah, that is correct, because uh, you will never have a new medicine or a new medical device unless you you spend months and years of testing and, uh, you know, collecting evidence that whatever new medicine or device is working better than what we have at the moment um, so yeah, it's a really long process. You really need many people to work on that at the same time as efficiently as possible. Okay. So I have a question there. Uh, what is a clinical trial? And, uh, if you have any insights, uh, about, you know, I know there are a lot of things going, going on and a lot of clinical trials going on right now regarding the COVID situation. We have to, we have to talk about it because, you know, it's, it's everywhere. So do you have any insights uh, regarding, you know, the clinical trials that are going on right now in, in the COVID? And what is a clinical trial to start with? Yeah, sure. So a clinical trial is a study, is a research, is an experiment, let's say, but that is done on humans. So it could be, well, often in a hospital, right? So I take Okay, I'm making it very simple right now, but it's very highly regulated, this thing. Uh, let's say you take 10 uh, people, they take a certain medicine that is already in the market, you can find it in the pharmacy, and the other 10 people with the same, uh, same disease, they take a new medicine that has been proven effective on animals, for example, or in a lab, uh, but has not been given to any patient yet, so to any human yet. So you, you do this trial, you do this research. What is the difference between the first 10 patients and the other 10? Uh, which ones are, are making more progress? And this really helps you to, uh, to understand with this kind of research that is called clinical trial, really helps you understand whether your new medicine is doing better than the medicine that we that is already available, so that we already have. So this is the way to progress, basically. And if there is nothing available, then you test on a placebo, for example. Some people were saying that uh, we may have a vaccine for the for COVID by the end of the year. Uh, I just want to know, based on your knowledge on the clinical trials and the complexity of the process, that. Uh, you told us at some point in the previous webinar that it would take several years to get it done. So are you optimistic about having a vaccine for COVID by the end of the year or by early next year? 
or do you think there is still a lot to go? I would be really surprised if we could have a vaccine by the end of 2020, also because we are recording this at the beginning of November, so we only have a couple of months left, it's not much time. <laughs> but what we could have by the end of the year maybe is a, is a, a vaccine that is a bit more advanced in a phase of research uh, than what we had last month, for example. So maybe, you know, when, when a vaccine or, or a medicine goes to the next step of research, because the research clinical trials go phase by phase, they, you go step by step, right? You don't give your uh, potential vaccine to a million people, you give it to 10 people initially, right? And then if everything goes ex as expected, you give it to 100 people and then 400 people. You know, you, it's, uh, it's step, it goes step by step. So what we could do is that maybe by the end of the year, we could advance by one step, but advancing to the end of all of the steps by the end of the year, I think it's really unlikely. Um, but yeah, we, we'll see. I mean, if... If we, we manage to do it by the end of 2021, would be already amazing. By the end of 2020, is hard to believe, honestly. Uh -huh. But some course, I mean, yeah. apparently the, the vaccines, there are some vaccines that are so-called phase three already. Yeah, that is true. So they are pretty advanced. That is true. But phase three is exactly where most, of, most medicines fail because because you you find out something that you really you, you couldn't find out before and it's like oh okay now we have to start again from the beginning it's not really starting from the from scratch for, uh, every time that you fail it's not like that because anyway we have you know this is a special virus that everyone is working on it uh, so i am sure that the research will take not many years like like you said before, and like I said before in uh, in, the, in my webinar, this one is a bit special. We, it's uh, you know, in it's a target for every every big company, even small ones. Um, so the research will take a lot less, but less than a year is mm, now. No. <laughs> okay. No, just no. <laughs> No. Uh, okay. So, so okay. So, then, uh, no, keep in mind that I mean there are many things in parallel. It's not just the vaccine. It's also you know maybe uh, managing a bit. What I see in Italy, but other countries, for example, are complaining they don't have enough uh, ICU uh, uh, spots in the hospital, so they don't have enough uh, capacity in their intensive care. Uh, so, so that is something that some countries are in progress of, you, you know, they, they are planning to improve or they are improving or they have improved. And then there are also some therapies, uh, in, under, under development that are not vaccines, uh, but they are still therapies against the virus. So, you know, it's a, I see it as a joint efforts. It's not just one thing that either we have it or we lose it. Um, so yeah, that's why I'm confident because there are many people working at the same time, not necessarily on the same thing, right? So sooner or later, someone will will get to to the solution, or more than one solution. It's not just 
one thing that is the vaccine. Uh-huh. Are you confident we're going to have some other kind of therapeutic that, that you're saying, or, or are we going to have the vaccine faster? What, what do you think? You know, for some, for some diseases, we don't even have a, a vaccine. We, we never develop it. Okay, sometimes it's just because it's just a matter of money so not or, or interest, you know. We, we didn't have enough, enough patients with that disease. For COVID, it's a bit different. There are many and it's a pandemic and so on. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we managed to develop a vaccine. Right. But that doesn't mean that we are doomed. We can develop something else. We'll see. We'll see what, uh, you know, the, the point is that you need to, to get to a reasonable solution faster. If we get a vaccine in 10 years, it doesn't, I mean, I'm not sure if that is really helpful. But in the meantime, maybe we can develop something else. We'll see. We'll see what researchers come up with. But I'm sure that we'll, we will get to, to a solution. You know, humanity faced so many, so many big and small challenges. I'm sure this one will be, will be managed at some point. I know it's irritating not to have a solution right now. We are used to, to live such a fast life where we get results quicker. And if we want an information, we just Google it and we get it. And research doesn't work that way, but but uh, but we'll get to a solution. Don't worry. Somebody who is doing your, your profession at the moment, what are the characteristics needed to do that? Well, uh, I think first is a strong sense of ethics because you work sometimes with sensitive data that is not just you know like financial data, so something that people have, but it's about health data, so something that people are. So it's a bit, I don't know, I see it as a, a bit more sensitive thing. And uh, and then what else? Well, a lot of patience, because sometimes to see some research results, it takes yeah, a long time. So uh, you should be able to see, I think this is important in several professions anyway, you should be able to see the smaller results, let's say every week, rather than focusing just on the bigger goal that you achieve or your company achieves maybe once every year or every two years or every five years, you know, just focusing on the smaller scale, exactly like the human body, you know, like I said before, the space is something extremely big and this is something extremely small, but equally important. Otherwise, the body wouldn't work. How do you cultivate such patience? Were you always such a patient person? Because what you mentioned before, really, for me, it uh, drives the point that we're so used to Google things and get the yeah. results immediately. And uh, it's kind of, I kind of feel that, let's say, 90% of the people are like that. So I just wonder, how do you gain this, you know, strength to be patient and not to demotivate yourself after two weeks of uh, no results? I think everyone is getting a very good training with a first, a second, and maybe third national lockdown or local lockdown in their own country or region. Uh, so that is a good, uh, very good challenge to your own patients. Even my patients has been challenged a lot this year. Uh, so that is that is I wouldn't add any other challenge for now, at least not in 2020, maybe towards the end of 2021. Uh, someone can, you know, 
add some more challenges, but this one is already quite challenging, I think. You have to, you know, stay at home, deal with yourself and your mind that would like to do things but cannot. So you have to, I don't, that is already a very hard thing to manage. So if you, yeah, it's, yeah, I wouldn't add another challenge no, to that. I guess, I guess the question is more, um, how do you cultivate that patience? How do you, how do you find, I mean, How do you find these small goals and you keep yourself motivated? How do you find, let's say, I don't know if you're familiar with the theory of flow, but uh, how do you find the flow and, and you keep your, you know, in your work or do you find flow in your work? Well, my, uh, my point of view is get the impossible and split it in smaller problems. So in the end you solve, maybe you don't solve the, the bigger problem, but you solve at least some of the problems that you you got by splitting the the, the impossible one uh, so so you can say that at least you achieved something and you could see some progress so and i think it's it's a good idea at least for me it really depends on each individual probably but for me it's a good idea to for me it's a good idea to um, focus on some work and then after I don't know, let's say my attention can stay focused on a problem for 45 minutes. And then after 45 minutes, I start, uh, you know, getting some distraction and uh, maybe looking at the bigger picture. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What is, uh, are we progressing overall on this, on this task? And if the answer is yes, I have extra motivation to go back to focus. If the answer is no, it's like, okay, never mind back to my smaller task to the to the focus so it's like a switch you know um at least my mind cannot manage to stay at the same level of attention at the same level of you know um of focus for too long like focusing on the on the single task or focusing on the bigger picture so it's It's a balance, right? Like you said, it's a balance between planning and executing. And I think you need to do both. You need to kind of alternate. If you only plan, you never execute. You're like, oh, I'm doing nothing. But that's not true. And if you are only executing without planning, you're like, I'm just doing stuff without controlling what I'm doing. And that's also frustrating. So that's why I believe it's wise to get a good mix of the two, maybe alternate a bit. And maybe if I add something on top of that uh, as a yeah. question, because you mentioned that you're doing something between project operations, management yeah. and uh, so on, and you operations, yes. And at the same time, it's what I'm hearing from you now, it's a lot yeah. about planning. Do you have some kind of a secret tips or tricks you would like to share about how people can plan better? Do you enjoy planning, actually? I do. But I mean, I wouldn't just plan without executing anything because I would be like, oh, I'm just planning. I'm not doing anything concrete. I'm not, I, it's hard for me to see the results if I only plan, you know. I need to do something as well. For me, it's important to get a mix. And my current job, I like it because it's a good mix. Sometimes I have to, you know, people give me a task, but they don't give me a clue how I have to solve it. They just tell me the goal, the final goal, and that's how I plan. You, you ask me for a tip for planning. It's like always start from the goal. It's like when you need to make a cake, where do you start from? First of all, you have to, you have to know what kind of cake you want. 
and then you buy the ingredients. Sometimes, you know, you are a bit desperate because, you know, there's a pandemic, supermarkets are empty, so you just need to open your fridge. You look at what ingredients you have, and out of those ingredients, try to make something that will be a cake that, I don't know, could be a carrot cake if you have many carrots. But if you don't have any carrots, of course, you cannot make a, pl- a carrot cake. So you have to plan something different. So it's, uh, you know, you don't have a really high level of control there. but ideally if you have a clear goal i want a carrot cake and if i if i don't have enough carrots in my fridge i go and buy them you know this is the ideal thing um then so for example in my job what i always ask what is the goal do we need just a cake or we need specifically a carrot cake <laughs> so i know what you know because i've always been uh in the past i've, I've also been in a commercial position so i know that knowing what the customer wants is really important. <laughs> and you have to ask maybe more than twice, what do you want? Because sometimes they also change their mind. So you're like, are you sure you want any cake? Because I'm, I'm thinking I could make a carrot cake for you. Is it not that maybe later you tell me, oh, no, I didn't want a carrot cake, but you just told me that you wanted any cake. So just to make sure, is a carrot cake okay for you? Um, so that focusing on the goal. You had listened to part one of our interview with Clayla. Part two will be next month on Monday, the first week of February. And if you're alumni of student organization BEST, don't forget to check our website bestalumni.net and join us. We have amazing projects that you can contribute and you can meet inspiring people. Until next time, take care.